Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the season finale of season seven of Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, where the most gruesome, the most bizarre, the most mind-boggling homicide cases in Maryland are discussed, they are examined, and they are profiled. For this season, season seven, the focus has been on murder cases where the murderer uh, pled not guilty by reason of insanity or not mentally competent to stand trial because of a history of documented mental illness. And when I say mental illness, I don't mean that the killer or murderer just had a form of some form of pent up rage and they just got mad and snapped one day. You know, no, for the most part, these killers were severely sick. They were mentally, severely mentally ill. They had histories of well-documented mental illness and had at least one stay at a mental institution, but were somehow allowed to live and function in society where they showed clear signs that they probably should have been committed a long time ago. Now, mostly all of the murderers for this season have been sentenced indefinitely to Clifton T. Perkins, which is the only real maximum security mental institution that we have for the criminally insane in this state, meaning there's no real chance that they will ever be released back into society because their murders, their murders or kills were so bizarre, so outlandish, so brutal, so pointless. And this next case that I'm going to profile is the tragic murder case of Corinne Shadon Gaines. And just like in all of the episodes that are in this podcast, a portion will be dedicated to an unsolved homicide that needs special attention because basically not a lot if anything is going on with the case. And last season, because I profiled 10 unsolved homicides where the victims were female, it's only right that I pay the same amount of attention to the men. So for this season, all of the unsolved homicides that will be profiled, the victims will will have been males. And this episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of 36-year-old George Sonny Stevenson Jr. Now, this next case is not about a murder or a killer per se, but I decided to include it in with this season that focuses on mental illness murders because although she wasn't a killer or a murderer and she didn't take anybody's life, she was killed because she suffered from mental illness and acted out on it. She had to be. I, I don't care what none of y'all say. She had to have suffered from untreated mental illness. She had to be mentally ill to do what she did. The story starts off like this. Corinne Shadon Gaines was from West Baltimore City. And although it seems as though she had a somewhat normal childhood, according to articles in the Baltimore Sun, as a child... Corinne was exposed to heavy amounts of lead poisoning like a lot of kids growing up in Maryland, particularly in the city of Baltimore. According to articles in the Baltimore Sun, 
more than 4,900 children have been affected by lead poisoning in the city of Baltimore alone with the last 10 years and I mean within the last 10 years and more than 65,000 children have been affected by high lead high blood levels of lead a blood a high blood level of 5 milligrams is the cutoff point that the CDC currently recommends before it's reported some signs of lead poisoning in kids can include uh you know if you got if your if your child has been affected by lead they can have delays in development they can have learning disabilities they can be irritable all the time mood disorders anger disorders high levels of aggression and according to corinne's parents and court records although corinne got fair grades uh, at gilmore elementary school where she was a student she did struggle with sitting still paying attention listening to the teachers following directions and stuff like that that said from a very early age uh corinne had a history of anger issues being disrespectful to the teachers and impulsive sporadic spontaneous rebellious behavior that was a little bit abnormal uh basically meaning getting in trouble in school all the time at an early age Corinne's mother did release a statement to the Baltimore Sun that that said you know school was always a struggle for Corinne and she had to try extra hard when you take away the attitude and you know the fight to control her behavior Corinne was just a normal outgrown girl who loved church she loved gospel music she loved performing and dancing and doing hair but her childhood was filled with bouts and spurts of depression, anger, and severe mood swings. After graduating from Baltimore City College in 2010, Corinne went on to Morgan State University for one semester where she majored in political science. But after she got pregnant with her son, Corinne dropped out of Morgan State and focused on raising her son. During that time, Corinne did have minor issues with the law where she had a destruction of property charge that was later dropped and she was charged with leaving a child unattended where she got a sentence of probation before judgment. Corinne was the type of person who lived her life on social media, posting everything like most people her age do and she constantly posted about her troubles. In 2012, Corinne filed a lawsuit against her landlord stating in her land in her uh, lawsuit that she, in her words, that she grew up in a sea of lead and now she had a lifetime lead level of 12 milligrams and that she's suffered permanent brain damage resulting in developmental and behavior injuries that were long lasting. In her lawsuit, Corinne demanded $918,000 in damages. Dealing with the stress, you know, of all of this, Corinne lived a, I'm going to, basically, I'm going to do me type of lifestyle. No matter what the consequences, no matter what the cost, she kind of lived with the mentality, like, you know, the world owed her something because she had been wronged and she lived by her own, her own rules. Corinne did work as a hairstylist, 
but she was definitely aggressive when she needed to be. Corinne had a free-spirited type of mentality, whether she was mentally ill from lead poisoning or whatever. This way of living, this way of I'm going to do me no matter what, this way of I can't stand authority, this way of thinking, you know, it, it would prove to be Corinne's own downfall. During the 2010 era, around this time, all you heard about on the news, all you heard about, about on social media, everywhere on Twitter was everywhere was police brutality cases. I mean, trust me, I work in a legal field, police shooting and killing unarmed black people like it was an epidemic or something, even more so than you hear about it now. You had the George Floyds, you had the um, um, uh, Mr. Aubrey's, you had the Michael Browns, you had the Sandra Bland, who was the 28-year-old lady who was found hanging in her cell in Texas after she was arrested after a, tra- a traffic stop. Now... Speaking of Sandra, Sandra Bland, Sandra Bland, in 2014, Corinne had a mental breakdown from all of the stress and she was put in a hospital for treatment. And either way, Corinne was obsessed with the Sandra Bland case and she hated the police. And that's all she talked about. That's all she posted about was, you know, this case about this lady being um, basically saying that. They said that she, you know, she killed herself when nobody that she believed that she didn't. Living by her own rules and her own mentality, Corinne was a person who felt like she didn't have to abide by, that she didn't have to listen to. Corinne felt like she didn't have to acknowledge or obey laws that were created by the government that everybody else had to follow. I mean, for example... This girl drove around with a homemade cardboard license plate that said, these were the words that she had written on cardboard, put on the back of her car that said, any government official who compromises this pursuit of happiness and right to travel will be held criminally responsible and fined as this is a natural right of freedom. Let me just say, let me just tell y'all this for people that's not from Maryland. Um... Maryland don't play that shit. Um, you driving around in Maryland with some shit like this on your tags, you getting pulled over with the quickness ASAP. That's it. That's all. It's not even going to take long. Cops going to pull you over with some shit like this on your tags. And you in Baltimore County at that. So that's exactly what happened. Corinne was driving around Baltimore County with that nonsense on her car in the place of registered license plates on a car that wasn't even registered in maryland i mean people don't really see how that could be a crime they're like okay who am i hurting put put you like this suppose you got in a car accident with this car that's not registered in maryland and you cause significant damages not only to your car but to the other car that was involved or whatever who won't pay for it you ain't got no insurance on the car. I mean, trust me, you don't have the money that's going to cost to get the car fixed. So you need to have your car insured or whatever. But it's it's like she's driving around with plates like this. And on March 10th, 2016, of course, in Baltimore County, she gets pulled over after a Baltimore County police officer saw those plates. They stopped her around 4 p.m. at the corner of Pikeswood Drive and Liberty Road in Randallstown 
and Corinne insisted that because she was a free-spirited person who didn't have to recognize, acknowledge, abide, or obey any government official of authority, including the police, that she wasn't doing nothing wrong. She wasn't she was free to do whatever the fuck she wanted to do because technically she didn't have to obey the police. She told the police that she wasn't following or listening to any of their laws or rules because although she wasn't really affiliated with like any type of specific anti-government group or agency, but she said that she identified with the sovereign citizens movement who believes that government authority is illegal and no rules, no laws, nothing applies to her because she had considered herself free of any legal consequences or punishments. Wow. I'm going to try that next time I get in the traffic stop, if it's that easy. So she argued and debated with the police that her license plate was legal and valid under constitutional law because Maryland rules and laws didn't apply to her. Look, I sum it up like this. We're going to get a cop. You're going to keep going back and forth like this with a with cop. The the car wasn't registered in the state of Maryland. End of story. I've been there before. Trust me. I'm, I'm riding around with tags. I took off for one car, put on another car. The cop asked me two questions. Is the car registered? No. Take the keys out the ignition. And the police decided to give her a citation at first. Basically, they was going to take the car, the whole nine, because the car is not registered. But it's in Maryland. You wouldn't necessarily be arrested for driving an unregistered vehicle. But because Corinne acted out and performed, the police gave her the ticket, told her to take the keys out of the ignition because the car wasn't registered. And they was going to basically wait for a tow. They was going to tow her car and impound it. And like they do every other car that's registered in Maryland, she wanted to get her shit registered in Maryland, pay at least 300 bucks. And that's just to get the tow out. It is a hassle, but you can't drive around with cardboard plates on your car in Maryland. I'm telling you. The police told her to get out the car. And to make this shit even worse, Corinne starts zapping out. You're not going to kidnap me. You're not going to... You're going to have to kill me. She's telling the police this. This At 23 years old. that When I heard about this, I was just amazed. And especially with all this going on. And she's saying all this, you know, with her kids in the car. And the whole time when they started grabbing her and grabbing on her and stuff like this, she's holding on to her kids to try to prevent, you know, them from taking her out the car. Because of all of this, a simple traffic stop, the police ordered her, you know, all of this to get out the car. You're getting arrested now. I mean, Corinne is live on Facebook the whole time. She's telling her son to fight and bite the police if they touch him. You know, she's performing for all of her social media followers talking about, the first time you lay on fing- a finger on me, I promise you, I'll have your ass. She is like zapping unnecessarily, to me, in my opinion, over a traffic stop. A traffic stop, y'all. With some tags that she know was bogus as fuck. Her son is crying in the back seat. I mean, the girl goes on and on and on for all of her Facebook friends and fans about, like, how she's gonna, you know do what she's gonna do and fuck the police and fuck everybody and she's telling her son don't be afraid you see what they do to us right you fight them you never ever back down don't be afraid you see what they do you fight them 
They are not for us. They want to kill us. And you never, ever back down from them. Never. I mean, I seen this video and I'm shocked she ain't get shot. She ain't get shot right there. But after this traffic stop over a car that wasn't supposed to be on the street in the first place, the cop says, you know, I'm not going to murder you. I promise you that. And Corinne says, oh, okay. Well, one of you, one of you will. One of you will. I promise you, you will. All that yik yakking and the police still ended up yanking her ass out that car. They had given her citations or tickets and, you know, a form saying that she had to go to court for the citations. And Corinne threw both of them out the window. Then they told her that her car was going to be towed and that she needed to get out or be arrested. And Corinne was like, look, I'm not going to let y'all steal the car. So while they waited for a tow truck, Corinne put her kids in her lap. The police had to physically pull both of her kids from her arm. And I mean, to me, I could tell if somebody going through all of this, it's obvious that she was mentally ill. But she threw a tantrum the whole time. The whole time she's screaming, cursing, not letting the police put handcuffs on her. A crowd, of course, gathers around. And Corinne's yelling, screaming, and cursing, you know, not letting them, you know, cuff her. And she's yelling the crowd, yelling to the crowd to record this, and she can't breathe. And because Corinne's finger was cut in the struggle, the police called an ambulance for her. Corinne's, she's aggravating the whole scenario, screaming for her son to fight back and to bite the officer who was watching him. After Corinne was taken to Northwest Hospital and she got treated for her cut finger, guess what? She was taken directly to the Woodlawn Police Station where she was charged with disorderly conduct and resisting arrest. And Corinne later said that while she was at the police, well, she said that she miscarried twins because of hours of being mistreated at the Woodlawn Police Station. But either way, Corinne, she got released a short time later and when she got out of jail, she was like, fuck those charges and fuck that court date, which is why the judge issued a bench warrant for a failure to appear on a damn disorderly conduct and resisting arrest charge. Something that, trust me, it wouldn't even have been no jail time, no nothing, probation at that, community service. But on Sunday, August the 1st, 2016, around 9.30 a.m., when Baltimore County Police went to her apartment on Sulky Court in the Courage Hill Circle Apartments in Randallstown to serve her the warrant for not coming to court, that's when all hell completely broke loose. Of course, Corinne didn't let the police in, and the police got a key from the rental office. And they basically tried to get in her apartment using the key that they got from the rental office. But Corinne had a chain lock on her door that prevented them from coming in. The police had had enough of this bullshit. So they kicked her door in. And when they did and walked through her door, guess what Corinne did? In her mentally ill mind, she pointed a Mossberg shotgun that she called Big Girl at the officer's. The officer backed up out of her house. The SWAT team got involved. And just like that, a standoff between Corinne and the police started that would last for over five hours and did not have a happy and peaceful ending, no matter her gender or age. Now, before it got, you know, 
before it got too deep, Corinne had been in her apartment with her boyfriend, her five-year-old son, and her one-year-old daughter. Turns out Corinne's boyfriend also had a warrant against him for an unrelated matter, and he listened to the police. He came out of the apartment with his and Corinne's daughter, and tragically, according to published reports, Corinne's young son also at first walked out with them. But when he saw that his mother wasn't leaving out with him, he ran back to her in the apartment to stay with her. Corinne's boyfriend tried to turn around to go back to get him, but by that time, Corinne had already grabbed her son to keep him with her. Corinne's boyfriend tried his best to convince Corinne to let the boy go with him, telling Corinne that it wasn't worth it to just come one out. But according to articles in the Baltimore Sun, he couldn't convince the boy and he left the apartment with his daughter. Now, mind you, the whole time, Corinne is saying stuff to the police like, I have a gun, you have a gun. The only difference between you and me is I'm ready to die and you're not. Wow. And this is for anybody who want to know what I'm doing. I'm motherfucking tired. But the devil lately, the devil lately is at my door and he's refusing to leave. Or shit like they can try to come and get it. And they're going to leave with more lead than they poisoned me with. I mean, and I'm at peace and I'm in my home and I ain't trying to hurt nobody. She's recording this the whole time for her Facebook live followers. Like this is a movie. Talking about they've been quiet a while, so they plotting to come in here and disturb the peace. I'm not a criminal. Or she's talking to her son, saying stuff like, what are the police trying to do? And her son goes, they're trying to kill us. Corinne asks, do you want to go out there? And her son says, no. And she says, what you want to do? And the boy says, nothing. I know because he probably was confused as I don't know what. And Corinne says, there is no wrong answer. There is the wrong answer. I mean, like, what the fuck is going on? And Corinne's Facebook followers was egging her on and even encouraging her to stand her ground with the police. All of this was causing even more drama and not helping the situation at all with this social media bullshit. So in a precedented move that had never been done before in an active standoff situation... Baltimore County Police contacted Facebook's law enforcement portal and asked them to deactivate Corinne's Facebook and Instagram accounts because, you know, basically of all the live postings that she was doing while the standoff was going on. The social media king listened to law enforcement and Corinne's social media pages were deactivated. The police also demanded that the electricity and air conditioning be cut off in her apartment in hot-ass August to try to basically lure Corinne to leave the apartment. But none of it worked. She stood her ground, and the police officers on the scene later reported to uh, they later reported to the media that Corinne's moves, like her mood swings and everything, would fluctuate from being completely stressed out to being completely you know quiet and calm in the end around 3 30 p.m the police got tired of negotiations and the police had enough of trying to convince corinne to leave her apartment and according to published reports in the baltimore sun corinne's five-year-old son later told investigators that 
as Corinne went to make him a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, she was shot multiple times. The police had a different version of events. They said that one of their officers fired their gun um, and Corinne shot back with a buckshot. They fired three shots and Corinne was killed. One bullet struck Corinne in her back on her left side. That bullet traveled through the left side of her ribcage and exited through the right side of her chest, which then ricocheted off the refrigerator and struck her son across his left cheek. Rushed to John Hopkins Children's Center, Corinne's son would go on to live, but he had to go through multiple surgeries to have bullet fragments taken out of his cheek, and even after that, the wound got infected, and he had to go through even more treatment. Jesus, Lord. This time when the police came in Corinne's apartment, she was pronounced dead at the scene after being shot in the left chest, back, right arm, left wrist, and left forearm with a graze wound to her right thigh. Corinne's family was devastated. Corinne's mother had told the police that Corinne had a history of mental illness and she hadn't taken her prescribed medication in over a year. And Corinne's mother also felt that if only she had been allowed to talk to Corinne to try to calm her down, then her daughter would still be alive. With Corinne's murder receiving national attention, several candlelight vigils were held in Corinne's memory, including one at the entrance of her her high school, Baltimore City College. A lot of people ain't like the way you know things went down with this whole case especially like i said with police brutality being at all-time peak you know and they started protesting all over maryland on august the 15th 2016 a protest was conducted in front of the maryland fraternity order of police which is the fop conference at the hyatt regency hotel that had been set up by the baltimore block and black youth project 100 the protest got so heated and intense that 12 people were arrested for trespassing. On August the 27th, 2016, another protest that was organized by the uh, People's Power Assembly was conducted at McKeldon Square at the Inner Harbor, where they marched from the Inner Harbor to Randallstown to the Randallstown Police Department. Not surprisingly, on September 11, 2016, Corinne's family filed a wrongful death lawsuit against the Baltimore County Police Department, basing their lawsuit that the police shot and killed Corinne because they ran out of patience and should have done other things instead of killing her. In February of 2018, a Baltimore County jury of six women and six men ruled in Corinne's favor and awarded her family more than $37 million in damages. After it was determined that it was a police officer that shot first, the next month, on March the 19th, uh, 2018, Baltimore County filed an appeal, and on February the 14th, 2019, a judge dismissed the original complaint and after it was determined that Corinne had been raising her gun when the officer shot her, not making some peanut butter and jelly sandwich like 
you know, her son had said. And the $37 million was kicked back. But on July the 1st, uh, 2020, a judge reinstated the verdict again. <sighs> and in August of 2021, Baltimore uh, County finally agreed to settle the case for $3 million, which Corinne's family accepted. Now, come on now. There are, uh, there are, even to this day, there are a lot of Corinne Kane supporters and stuff like that. She was, but y'all got to admit, she was mentally ill. She was mentally ill. You cannot hold, a, for holding your baby hostage like that. Even just riding around with the tags like that. I know a lot of people that that's free-spirited and feel like they can do whatever they want. But when you involve law enforcement and rules and stuff like that, it's called jail. Like, especially when you're breaking laws and having your own rules. And you can't ride around with, a car, you know, cardboard plates. And she was she was mentally ill. Simple as that. Um, it's like they said she hadn't taken her prescribed medication in over a year. I mean, people like that, when they refuse to take their medication, they don't think that nothing is wrong. They don't feel like nothing is wrong with them. Maybe they stopped taking it because of the side effects. Um, maybe, I mean, for whatever reason, but they can't see it themselves that something is wrong and that they're not living in a rational world. Um, should the cops have shot her? Um, I think they were a little impatient. I believe if this were, you know, if the tables had turned, they would have tried to stretch this out because this was somebody else. So I do believe that they were impatient. But I also believe that she was not going to back down no matter what. I believe it was going to end in gunfire either way. Um, she, mentally ill or not, she put her son in danger. Physical danger. And both times at the stop, at the traffic stop and when um, they came to serve the warrant. Should her family get paid? I think they should. I mean, they shot, the police basically shot a mentally ill woman who pulled a gun on them. Um, <laughs> if that's the, their only ways of deactivating the situation was killing her, that's the state, that's how the state of Maryland handled things. Um, who knows? I mean, they said that she raised her gun first, but why would she raise her gun first then? You know, why would she wait at that particular moment to do it? Why would she do that then? So that don't even make sense. I mean, either way, it was a mess. And this case, uh, this case, mm, her son, her kids in general, I know they got to be fucked up mentally. I mean, and physically. It was a disaster. I mean, I actually lived in, you know, close to this area when this happened. I remember, you know, when things were cordoned off and stuff like that and I remember thinking it was it, it started early and I, I remember thinking oh this is not going to last all day this is not going to be a Pelzinski situation I can tell you that right now I, and I remember thinking it's going to end ugly and it did it did it end ugly and you know everybody in the state of Maryland remembers the Corinne Gaines case if you don't you've been living under a rock I mean that's why this case was always going to be you know, considered one of Maryland's most notorious is one of Maryland's most notorious murder cases ever profiled on this podcast. And now it's time to move on 
to this week's Unsolved Homicide. And like I say in every single episode, although a lot of attention and focus is given to homicides in Maryland that were noteworthy and may have received a lot of press and attention, and, you know, they were focused on, I mean, they were forecast on uh, Murder, Inc. or the news or Fox 45, this podcast also shines a light on the many homicides that we see in this state that do not receive a lot of attention or any attention or press at all. These killings are so common in this state that they don't really always make the news. Sometimes when a person gets killed in this state, you you don't hear nothing else about it if you hear any news about it at all. And the number of homicides that are unsolved in this state is completely like unbelievable obviously homicide detectives they cannot do it all by themselves especially when they are you know outnumbered and kept busy all the time a lot of thing a lot of people think that you know homicide cases are solved by how they are on you know another 48 and stuff like that but it's too many of them in Maryland for them to spend that much time on them and but and what happens to these cases where nobody is talking where there is zero evidence there's no clues no dna and stuff like that that you see on tv the, the what happens in the cases where because of the victim's past nobody is talking or the detectives ain't really trying to solve the case because the victim quote unquote they had it coming you know or they feel like oh they were selling drugs or something like that you know whatever happens happens what happens to these type of hunt murder cases did the killer simply just get away with murder it just seems like it i mean you know literally nothing is done with these type of you know forgotten homicides not because nobody cares anymore but sometimes because the public simply forgot all about it it's like we have become immune to homicide in this state well on this podcast Although I do, like I said, although I do talk about cases where, you know, the case did receive a lot of attention and was notorious and, you know, may have received national press and stuff like that. On the flip side, a focus is also on homicide cases that did not receive the attention that they deserve. You know, and with that being said, this episode's unsolved homicide is the shooting murder of 36-year-old George Sonny Stevenson Jr. On March the 27th, 1997, at around 1.10 a.m., Salisbury police responded to the back of a home in the 600 block of Baker Street where they found George shot. A witness to the shooting told the police that he saw a black male who was about 18, year, 18 years old, 5 feet 9, and about 220 pounds, chasing George with a gun after George had walked to the back of the house. The witness said he heard gunshots, shot with a small caliber handgun. There was evidence that George had been robbed. George died from this shooting, and to date, no suspects, no suspects have ever been arrested in this 26-year-old unsolved homicide, which is absolutely unacceptable. So if you have any information that you want to provide, 
please do not hesitate to call the Salisbury Police Department at 410-548-3113 or you can reach them at Crime Solvers at 410-548-1776. Once again, those numbers are the Salisbury Police Department at 410-548-3113 or Crime Solvers at 410-548-1776. There is a $2,000 reward for this particular, any, any type of information that can lead to an arrest or conviction for this unsolved homicide. And of course, you can remain anonymous. Thank you for tuning into this week, the season finale of season seven. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates on future spine tingly, hair raising, eye popping episodes. For paid subscribers, be sure to check out the real, the raw, the uncensored version of why I do what I do, how and why I got into true crime, the true crime books, how I used to live in the true crime library and stuff like that, why I decided to start a podcast. A lot of people think that I just woke up one day and then just boom, out of nowhere, (laughs) there's a podcast. But that's not true. There is some real therapeutic message to this world of murderous madness. I promise you that. Just click on the past episode entitled, Why I Do What I Do. And you'll understand more about why I'm so into true crime. I also want to let my listeners know that for um, season one, uh, which was the child murder season, six of those episodes have been selected for film production, meaning production has officially begun on the video or documentary production version of those episodes. And I don't mean just me you know, standing in front of a microphone recording like what I'm doing now. Nope. These are, um, you know, includes photos, includes video, audio, the uh, actual crime scene photos. And the very first, it'll be the very first documentary that will be produced by Savage Life Productions will be based off of the very first episode that was featured on this podcast. So tune in because the video version will be coming to you soon, later this year, hopefully sometime in July. And while you're at it, check out the new website, which is MarylandsMostNotoriousMurders.com. And Marilyn is spelled M-D-S. So it's MarylandsMostNotoriousMurders.com where you can access every single episode one through six and also this episode uh, that you just listened to now. You can also find links to all of the books that are related to this podcast entitled uh, Maryland's Most Notorious Murders, 1990-2008, Maryland's Unsolved Homicides, Volume 1. You can also find links to my local bestsellers entitled Junkie, A True Baltimore Story, um, Until I Get Caught, The True Story of a Serial Rapist in Baltimore, which is a book that every woman should read, trust me. And you can also find links to my first book, Child of Baltimore. You can also check me out on the latest episode of, well, the latest season of Payback, which airs on TV One. 
you can also check me out on the Oxygen Network for Black Widow Murders, where I profiled Maryland's female serial killer, Josephine Gray. And if you really feel like doing some digging, really trying to get some dirt on me, you can catch me on TV One's Justice By Any Means, uh, TV One's Fatal Attraction, where I profiled the North Carolina killer, Peter Moses. Or you can find me hosting Killer Kids for the Element Network. I believe the name of that episode was called uh, Mommy Issues and Full Metal Jacket. Once the Season 1 documentary videos are available, you will also be able to find the links here uh, for the videos at the website, MarylandsMostNotoriousMurders.com. So be sure to tune in. next i would say about a couple weeks next week where we will begin a whole nother uh season it'll be the beginning of season eight where 10 more cases 10 more notorious homicide cases will be profiled i bet y'all not gonna guess what that what the theme will be or what the season uh theme will be for season eight but promise i promise you it'll keep you on your toes they will include, um, and plus also by that time, uh, when season eight is released, I will have the links for uh, the video version of the very first uh, documentary that it will be produced by Savage Life Productions. So tune in to the beginning of season eight premiere, which will be in a couple weeks, and look out for the uh, links toward the very first documentary produced by Savage Life Productions. So make sure to tune in where another gruesome high-profile homicide occurring in Maryland. It will be profiled, it will be examined, and they will be discussed on Maryland's Most Notorious Murders. And this has been a Savage Life production.